Greetings and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit around and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track -track basis pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing tickety-boo. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, and I'm happy just to dance with you today. Well, um, yes, good. Um, I, I wish George was happy. He doesn't. He doesn't really sound it. But um, yeah. yeah, you know, we'll we'll get to that. Just before we uh, before we launch into stuff, we will just let people know how uh, they can get a hold of us because we love hearing from our listeners and we want all the feedback you can possibly send us. So um, if you would care to get in touch, then you can contact us via email. We are Twitter. We are pardon me, Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology. Um, yeah, please like us, rate us, review us, um, so that other people can find the show and join along with our lovely run through the Beatles back catalogue. And that's a new feature that we're calling You Can Really Get a Hold of Us. <laughs> yes, not only can you, but it would be really nice if you did. Is there anybody out there? Um, oh, sorry. It's kind of vaguely launched into a um, a, a, a Duran Duran song now. That was really weird. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll try not to hold it again. That's from a, an album that I haven't listened to since I was about 12. <laughs> yes, you're you're listening to wow. Beatles Stuffology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Excellent. today we're doing Ordinary World, yeah. <laughs> followed by Hungry Like the Wolf. I love Hungry Like the Wolf. It's the only Duran yeah, yeah, Duran yeah. song I yeah. genuinely like. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great song. Anyway, that's not the song we're discussing today. We're discussing I'm Happy Just to Dance With You. And we're definitely not trying to pad this episode out in order to find something to say about it. Um, no, I don't think we need to. I, I, I think there's there's enough to get our teeth stuck into without descending into the kind of arguments that they have below the line on Beatles Bible. Okay, well, let's find out if that's true. What do you think of this song? Meh. <laughs> i think okay right I'll, I'll expand my meh and, and upgrade it slightly it's it's perfectly fine it's you know we we sort of get into the, the the kind of discussions um here where we say well it's an okay song but it would be a brilliant song for most other bands it sort of fits within that category of something that they wrote fairly quickly for a purpose paul and, and john didn't want to sing it so they kind of wrote it with George in mind um, and everyone does an OK job. And we move on and, you know, coming in a moment, I say in a moment, in the next two weeks will be a song that is superior in every single way from production, you know, recording, rehearsal, blah, 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 through to performance. Um, so it's fine. It's fine. It is, as, as McCartney himself said, a formula song. Yeah. Um it's it's very i keep i've used this word a few times before in previous episodes and i don't like using it but i haven't found a suitable synonym for it yet but it's kind of perfunctory it's mm -hmm. it's definitely a song that george sings on this album and that's kind of it um i don't know it's it's i i what i would like to know your opinion on is do you think the fact that george doesn't sound very happy on this song because he really doesn't sound very happy in this song do you think that's intentional do you think he do you think it's being done deliberately because so much of the song is kind of a bit minor and it, it doesn't yeah the, you know it, the, the contrast between that kind of minorness and the slightly doleful delivery which is normally kind of a ringo thing but maybe yeah. do, you, do you think it's deliberately i think you just can't be arsed with it I'm, I'm going to go early on um, cover versions at this point. 
in the last episode, um, you'll recall that when discussing If I Fell, I mentioned that um, that um, I'd listened to Julie Covington sing a version of it. And actually, she really kind of hit those notes that Lennon found quite difficult to hit consistently and, and with clarity. Well, you know, I think Harrison sounds a little flat here at times. And yeah, perhaps a little disinterested. But there's a version of this by... Um, um, it, Funnily enough, we've gone early on the early 80s um, references with Duran Duran. Um, well, I'm going to go with uh, Mary Wilson. Um, she of the Beehive from the early 80s. Um, and she's got a lovely version of this, which is really crystal clear. And the notes that Harrison, you know, doesn't hit terribly well. And I think actually it's maybe an effect of the double tracking. You know, it sounds like it's not quite right both times he sings it, ironically. <laughs> um, you know, she just hits beautifully. And as a result, the song sounds different as well. It also helps that perhaps they do that version as a bit of a, a torch song. Um, oh, but yeah, it, it's, it's really it's, a torch it's, song. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really lovely version. And it's the kind of thing that I like because it does something different with it, as opposed to just doing our version of a song. Uh, that sounds the same and we just want to play it because you know anyway um and so i think actually it, what's worth considering is that despite the fact that they gave george um plenty of songs in live shows and it's, there's quite a lot of live shows in the early days where he sang basically as many songs as paul did for example um he's just at this stage not a very good singer sorry but um i, th I think it's worth saying that as much as, as there, there are those people who will defend it to the hill, my emotional response to it at this stage is, you just haven't found the song that's suited for your voice. And in fact, you probably won't find it for, for you know a few more years yet. But that's fine. It's still pretty good. And everything else about it works. So it's not ruined by a poor vocal performance. It's just... You know, well, compare the way this is sung to If I Fell, which is better. Um, you know, I should have known better, which is which is considerably, sorry, awkward, better. And then, um, and I love her, which is, you know, a step up again. You know, it's nice that they've got this material for, for George and that they feel like it's an inclusive thing. Let's get everyone involved, so on and so forth. It's not really working. I think the problem is, is that there's no real style to this song. Um, I don't, I don't mean style as a synonym for class, but I just, it, it doesn't really seem to exist. And it's not really rock and roll. It's not a ballad. Yeah. It's not really. Um, it, it just can't pick a side. And like, like you're saying, like when somebody sings it as a torch song, it suddenly becomes, it suddenly becomes yeah. something because there's a style being applied to it. You could, you could definitely find other ways of, there aren't that many cover versions of this song, which I, yeah, is understandable. I think it's, it's, it's a pretty minor work. Um, and particularly lyrically, it's, it, it's pretty, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll get to that. But, um, you know, if you pick a style for it, like even, um the the Anne Murray version, which is real cheese. Yeah. Um it's yeah. really kind of, you know, like an awful yeah. sex solo in the middle of it and all the rest of that. But at least it's a style. At least it's it's going for something. Even if it sounds almost self-parodic at this point. It's 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 picked a team and it's playing it. Whereas 
the Beatles version, and this is really unusual for them, just doesn't really seem to fit into any one style other than, well, here's the George song. But that that's not quite enough to carry over. And that's kind of why I was asking before about whether you thought the kind of like the doleful delivery or the kind of slightly unhappy sounding uh, delivery, which which on a song with happy in the title is deliberate or not, whether they're trying to kind of find yeah. an angle on it, which isn't really there musically. But I have a feeling that might be quite a, quite a generous interpretation. I think that would be one of those those things, like we spoke about in the last episode, that is retrospectively applied. Yes, you know, um, and that there are one or two times when um, there's some some witty wordplay that they use that I think Paul is ascribing after the event. It's almost like, oh yeah, yeah, we meant to do that, we meant to do that, but you know, only they will know for certain. Um, and yeah, anyway, so but there, there, you know, Paul is interesting talking about this. Because um, in the in the Barry Miles book, um, he you know he admits it was written for George. He says we wouldn't actually um, wouldn't have actually wanted to sing it because it was a bit. The ones that pandered to the fans in truth were our least favourite songs, but they were good. They were good for the time. You know the nice thing about it was to actually pull a song off on a slim little premise like that, a simple little idea. It was songwriting practice. And that's the point, isn't it? It was songwriting practice for them. For other acts, it would have been a standout track. You can imagine a band like, I don't know, Herman's Hermits or someone having one of the biggest hits of their career with a song like that. You know, compared to a lot of the, the back catalogue, it might have been the best thing that they ever recorded. But for the Beatles, it's the George song on, on an album, which makes it particularly interesting. Yeah, I think also as well, the... Um the one thing that you can sort of say for it musically is that the chords shift quite quickly. There's, there, there's not many chords in this song, um, mm. like seven maybe or eight, but it kind of shuffles around them pretty, you know, pretty quick smart. And that's one way of giving the song at least a little bit of drive to it. And, and it feels like more effort has been made with the music than, than the lyric. And like, I'd I, I, like, if that's what McCartney thinks of the song, then okay, fair enough. It's you know their song; they can they can think whatever they like about it. Um, but it does have that sense that the the lyric is even more um, disposable. He says, avoiding the word perfunctory yeah. again, um, yeah. than than sometimes, and particularly that uh, that space face rhyme is it, that's that's oh, it always gets a little chuckle. It's 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 not great, um, but yeah, because they put no effort into it. It's just like, does oh, well, we've tried this. Does that work? Ah, uh, no, we'll do. It. We'll we'll get a better one next time, Ryan. And that means this song is stuck with the trying it, but it, it didn't quite quite come together. Um, well, so, it's it's okay. kind of a rehash of it's kind of a rehash of I saw her standing there in some sense, isn't it? It's like you know we'll have a dance, and as a result of the dance, um, the world will be a much better place. Um, you know, so it. In, in terms of the lyrics, I don't need to hug or hold you tight. I just want to dance with you all night. Okay. I mean, you know, that's fine. That's fine. Sort of a statement, um, you know, doesn't want to kiss or hold your hand, just wants to dance. Um, so it's, it's quite a nice positive statement. It's a bit fun, but it's, it's very, very slight. Um, you know, I love, and, I love and, the way that uh, that George delivers the line, I've discovered I'm in love with you, as if he's seen it on a map and somebody's pointed it out to him. Oh, I've discovered oh, it. 
in, in fairness, it's not you, is it? It's you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of there. Um, yeah. You know, which is fine. And he discovers it at the end as a result of all that dancing, which, which is, is nice. um, which is quite nice, isn't it? Um, so, um, but how could he dance with another when he's seen her standing there? Um, that's that's the thing we, we need to take into account. But it's not unlike, um, you know, a lot of those other work songs, is it? In, in that there's not a huge amount of time that's gone in, into the lyrics. Um, and you know what? It's fine because it doesn't matter. Would the song be any better if uh, suddenly you'd have got some sort of narrative in there? You know, some sort of Dylan-esque narrative um, about an old hobo who's who's been wandering the the plains for fifteen years and is with a stone in his shoe. Or uh, you, you can tell I haven't listened to all the Has it been a while um, since you've listened to Blood in the Tracks? No, I don't know. That, that, that could easily be something off John Wesley Harding. I oh, love yeah, that's true. John Wesley Harding. Um, but you but you see what I mean? Yeah. Would it be a better song? No, it wouldn't. It, it needs that kind of flippant, shallow. Um, I love you, hey, let's have a dance and let's all have a good time kind of thing. It, it just kind of, it, it kind of works. And, and because, you know, there are plenty of people out there who take the Beatles' work far, far too seriously. There are plenty of, of sturdy tones. Whisper it quietly. There are even some podcasts out there who seek to raise the Beatles to the status of, of rich academic texts. And that's it. fine, do it. But for me, it's about an emotional response. And my emotional response to this is, I like it. Now it's finished. I'm going to forget about it. Yeah, I don't think that's unfair. And, you know, it's one of the things that these kind of songs suffer from a little bit in terms of our formatting. Because, you know, it's an album track. And discussing a sort of fairly throwaway album track, yeah. you know, in isolation like this kind of does it a slight disservice. Because... It isn't in isolation. It, it's designed, if that's quite the right word, to be heard in between If I Fell and and I Love Her. And that's where it's meant to be. So, yeah. so kind of scooping it out, it, it, it does provide that tonal shift between those three songs. Oh, you went for tonal shift. I thought in my head I was predicting JG Bingo that you'd go for balance. Um, I, I <laughs> swerved away, swerved away from it at the last second. You should be grateful that I didn't use any French and, and just leave That's it at true. that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. Um, yeah. Nothing, nothing too obsequious this time. Okay. Um. All right, but hang on a minute. I am going to go in for there is something musically that I really like in this song. Okay. Okay. And it's and and I'm I'm quite deliberate here. It's the backing vocals, not harmonies, the backing vocals. You know, they, they you know, the uh, 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 yep. yeah, because they actually add the right emphasis at the right time and they are beautifully sung. Now, they might, John and Paul might harmonize with each other there, but they're not there to harmonize against George. They're there to add a counterweight, a balance, if you will, to, to what he's singing. And but it also makes it so obvious that they're, they're at this stage at least much better singers than he is. I mean, there's no way around that though. That's the thing. Yeah, if, if they're going to appear yeah. on singing in one of his songs, then then they're going to appear better singers because they just yeah. so demonstrably are. But I think I think it's it's worth pointing out because of course when 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 talking about um, 63, 64, and you know in the main where you've got those. Um, co-sung songs where you've, you're just sort of layered with those harmonies it's one of the things that really stands out for people are the Beatles harmonies well here they're doing something different it's backing vocals 
and it's adding an emphasis. And I think that's worth pointing out because I think it's really effective on this. The other thing I was going to ask musically was that, you know, Ian MacDonald talks about there being African drums yes. uh, on this. Well, okay. Um, as opposed to what? European drums? Well, as why, opposed to why... traditional kit, yes. No, I know, I know. But it's, it's and I realise this is not um, an Ian MacDonald thing, but why are we referring to the drum as belonging to an entire continent? Um, you know, are, are there European drums, American drums, South American drums? Could we be a little bit more specific, please? Because actually that sounds a bit, mm, you know, awkward in terms of, of the naming there. I, I don't quite understand why it's a, oh, yes, yes, all of Africa. Yes, we're going for all of Africa here. Uh, it's their drum um, that we brought back from holiday in, in 47 um, when, you know, we had loads of people there to carry our bags around for us. Jolly good, marvellous. Yeah, I think, oh, right, okay. Yeah. Does it have a better name? Um, well, I mean, I, I mean, realistically, it's just a form of bongo, I think. Um, okay. Uh, but I think, uh, firstly, hard to imagine kind of colonial and imperialist attitudes existing in 1964. I mean, just, know, just, just, just very yeah. difficult yeah. to comprehend indeed. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm assuming that's what it would have been known as contemporaneously. I don't know enough about the instrument that uh, the no. ringo was playing, so I don't want to, I don't want to kind of speculate further. Um, but that kind of drumming, it would have been a, it would have been a hand drum. It would have been something that was slapped rather than something which was played with a stick. So yeah, it would have been more akin to a sort of bongo or something like that. And in fairness, it's it's more of a um, um, a linguistic point. I think I'm making really. It just strikes me as a as a, an odd thing. And and uh, um, you know, if we're still using a term like African drum, it sort of suggests that we haven't really thought that one through very much. But well, if we have any drummers in our in our audience, perhaps they could they could get in touch and let us know what the sort of story behind that is. Yeah, or we could research it. Well, we could, but we're not going to. So that's why I'm asking the audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, what's quite funny is I, I mentioned Beatles Bible earlier. I, I do like having a look on Beatles Bible sometimes. Sometimes I forget when I'm I'm researching this because I do like having a look at the comments below the line because normally you can find pretty quickly some people claiming that you know one of the most songs in in the Beatles canon in the early Beatles canon is oh yeah one of their best uh, early songs oh this one's fantastic you just think well come on all right well fair enough if that's your emotional response but clearly objectively there's a whole bunch of songs that are phenomenal Am I am I confusing that? Am I perhaps contradicting myself by talking about emotional response and then objectivity? I don't know. It just seems that people go into bat for for some of the most ridiculously thin songs. And actually, the the comments below the line. Um, now, I, it's not like there's a hot debate going on because these comments are sort of. You know, the original article would have been posted in say 2010, and the comments have slowly been going on since then. Um, but they mostly seem to argue about who wrote it. Oh, was it John or was it Paul? And, oh, well, Paul said this. Oh, yeah, but you can't take that seriously. Oh, yeah, because, you know, um, um, you know, John had died by that, by, you know, 1980. So anything Paul said afterwards can't be contested. Oh, and you know what Paul's like. Oh, yeah, but John used to change his mind. And you just think, why, why are people litigating this? I mean, the, I, I really I do like these songs um, and and they give me pleasure 
but it's not a matter of life and death. And, you know, I just find it funny that, that people can take arguments about this song, that song, quite as seriously as, as they do. But then that seems to be a bit of a theme in terms of what I'm saying today, because obviously I've implied that about podcasts as well. But that's why I like things like, you know, the, the Big Beetle Sort Out or, you know, Egg Pod and, you know, Nothing Is Real or, or the Craig Brown book, for example, because they seem to play up the joy and the fun in a lot of the music rather than sort of pulling things apart and dissecting in, in that, um, that particular way. But um, yeah, we go. right. OK, I'm repeating myself, JG, you you jump in at this point. Um, well, firstly, I, I think I would say that as as far as those kind of comments go and and all that kind of stuff, you know, part of the pleasure is kind of being able, there is pleasure in being able to bat these things back and forth if it's done in a, a constructive way. And you can find anybody who can support or love any kind of song, and that's perfectly that's perfectly valid. Yeah. Um, and I and I think of all the bands, that's true of it might be true of the Beatles the most because they are such a such a fated act they're so lauded it's it's that thing there's I, I i'm sure it's also true in other music services but on spotify there's like a like a, like a deep cuts beatles playlist and i think well at this point there aren't any deep cuts let there, there's nothing there, it's just it's just too well they're like even even you know uh, what's the new mary jane or you know my name look up the number or like they're not deep cuts anymore they're they're well, rain, when, when we first knew each other, rain would have been that sort of thing yeah, that exactly. a lot of people wouldn't have heard. Exactly, um, but that's a long, yeah. long time ago now. Um, <laughs> sorry, touchy. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just you know availability now is is basically a hundred percent. And okay, fine. Every so often we'll get, uh, you know, uh, a get back or we'll get a whatever, but, but in terms of the actual recorded material, everything is out there, everything is accessible and it's just not a thing anymore. Deep, deep cut Beatles songs aren't really a thing. If you, if you wanted to take, uh, an example of a deep cut early on, Honestly, I Happy Just to Dance With You is probably one of them because it's kind of a forgotten song, but it's also not because there aren't any. So now I'm contradicting myself as well. I'm sure there was a point behind all this. I wonder what it was. No, there, there is there is one, though, that um, I know that I'm really looking forward to discussing when I think we get to Beatles for Sale because there was a choice between Mr. Moonlight, which is objectively dire um, and, and something else which I, I wasn't aware of until we started doing this and i really really like it so um yeah it's a real kind of fun funky um cover but um yeah i i'll uh, we, we'll get to that in in about you know eight months time um and and we'll discuss that because we'll need to discuss things like that during that episode because otherwise it's going to be just a moan fest um so um so by the way listener if anyone out there is a massive fan of mr moonlight and wants to appear on that episode you know that that could be a, a good one because that would then balance um out our negativity um and and we're going to be negative about that one and that one only well you know it, i mean if there's a song that deserves yeah yeah uh... i thought you were going to equivocate for a moment there 
Um, I, 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 honestly, I, mostly I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that that episode because I know what your attitude towards that song is. I can't honestly remember the last time I listened to it. I mean, there are other there are other songs which you know one could one could savage like uh, "Run for Your Life" or you know whatever. But yeah, they're they're, yeah. they're better known and, and and sort of more obvious examples. But the but the thing about "Run for Your Life" without wishing to. Um, um, to sort of go too far ahead, and of course you can't do that, is that even though lyrically they are in the main objectionable, they're actually really good songs. Uh, musically, so I really like Run For Your Life. That's my dirty little secret. I really like go. it musically. I think it's a great song. It, lyrically, well, we'll get So there's that, a discussion but, yeah. to be had related to that, that that's important, but then also to talk about why perhaps they were writing those lyrics then and then how they came to change, even to the point of how soon um, they got to the point where, um, you know, they, they did sort of then not so much disown, but start to think that, well, maybe that's not quite how we want to come across. Um, but, you know, we, we're sort of then heading deep, deep, deep into the future, aren't we? Um, so, but um, leave my kitten alone. That's the one. That's that's the one that they were gonna that that could have gone on instead of Mr. Moonlight. Okay. Uh, and I really like that. And I'd never even heard of it until um a few months ago. Excellent. Uh, well this podcast so, hey, has been of value then. Yeah. So let's let's yeah, and I, I was talking, listening and Googling at the same time, fans, but um there you go. So okay, right. Elephant in the room, because I think we're probably running out of things to say about the actual song itself. Here's, here's something probably. really, really positive. And, and when you're writing the um, the little blurb for this episode, JG, I want you to stress that that get through the the kind of like the mere element, because actually at the end, what I'm going to basically say is that up to this point, I realise there's not that many, but this is possibly the greatest pop video that had been created up to this point. I realise there's only about 10 to compare it to. But in terms of the musical sequence, I've, I've loved the musical sequences so far on A Hard Day's Night. Um, you know, in particular, I Should Have Known Better, I think is just fantastic. But this is so brilliantly shot. It's it's really, really impressive. From, from the fact that just before the song starts, you've got that sort of um, dance troupe with the the, the the man in the suit and then the, the, the ladies in, in the extravagant outfits dancing in front of the set that has three very large beetles on it which is, <laughs> which is hilarious um it, it kind of reminds me of um um dex's midnight runners um in front of the, the pictures of jockey wilson um for anyway um there, there's another early 80s reference um but you know just sort of think oh that's just, just such a a fun and bizarre thing to do but then they come in and they're playing and and rehearsing as the, the dancing girls are are going out and even at one point you know someone who presumably is meant to be the leader of the dance group is is having to drag the other girls away uh from watching them um which is you know which is really really fantastic but it's it's the the great way in which you've got them doing something different here so the initial shot of them playing it's it's you've got like a, a close-up but then it pulls back to reveal that you're watching them through the camera which is which is fantastic you know it's such a clever little thing to do you know based around the fact that they're in a studio but you've also got a very unusual arrangement going on here in that you've got the um the camera is basically over Ringo's shoulder most of the time 
and you're looking at John and Paul looking at Ringo with George just behind them, you know, on, on the riser. And that's, that, I think it's a really cleverly done thing. I mean, of course, I will be saying in the next episode, but, and I love her, that this then becomes the best pop video <laughs> since, yeah, because it is, it's a better sequence. But um, I, I think it's just, it, it's just so beautifully simply done. And it gives us something that I don't think I've seen before, which is McCartney playing the bass with one leg up uh, um, on the riser. Um, I've never sort of seen him do that because obviously he's, he's standing straight legged normally. Um, but here he's, he's, you know, to see him playing bass with one leg slightly bent higher than uh, the other, you just think, well, okay, all right, fair enough. Are you, um, are you, are you giving us a view of anything in particular here, Mr. McCartney? Um, <laughs> nicely done, sir. Well done. Would you be happy to dance with us? Okay. So, yeah, I mean, kudos to um, um, Dickie Lester again for, for pulling that off because um, I think the way in which he presents the Beatles in this film is, is frankly just stunning. The sequence is just, yeah, every time I watch it, I, I see something else that's new and really beautifully done. You know, I don't know how much he was responsible for, for putting those together those musical sequences together. But if it was him or whoever it was, just thinks a genius. I think one of the problems that always comes up, especially this at this part of uh, the Beatles' career, is exactly what you've just highlighted there, which is to say, oh, it's the best example of this. And then next week we have to go on and talk about, <laughs> well, this is the best example. And that's just because they're on this kind of straight-up trajectory. Um, but it is absolutely true. And one of the great things about the musical sequences throughout a hard day's night is that they do keep kind of topping each other so they, it starts off with the sort of running through the station and all that kind of which stuff is great. which is fantastic you know it's full yeah. of energy and life and it's just it's just this glorious yeah. little sequence and everyone and keeps I, building I, that presentation yeah go on can i go just say to refer, uh, to to do a callback if you like um it very much reminds me of a um you know if uh, hungry like the wolves video hadn't been filmed in in sri lanka but had been filmed in london instead that's it's it, it they're all they're very similar apart from apart from one being in sri lanka and one being in a train station in london <laughs> and separated by 20 years but yeah other than that you know uh yeah scarcely different no, but, but the running chasing yeah, no, of course, no, you're, 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 you're quite right um, um but everything about the sequence for this song and um Hard Day's Night is great. Those Beatles, those three big Beatles are just glorious. It's so flatly literal. Yeah. There's, there's, no, there's no way I will <laughs> never not enjoy that. It's just yeah. lovely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a really inventively, uh, inventively shot sequence. And it keeps pushing the limits of what you can achieve with 1964 technology, like that pullback thing. That's yeah. not an instinctive or obvious thing to do, and certainly not in a, no. a, a, like a quickie film like this, which was just meant to be knocked out, made everybody a few quid and forgotten about it. That's a real attention to detail that you just don't get in in anything which is sort of vaguely contemporary with this. It's, it's just lovely, and it's this idea that um, there are so many different ways of presenting what is essentially just a band on stage but there is so much inventiveness in it like you said the the girls who are you know having to be dragged away the the way that the cameras are being positioned the way that the shots are being lined up everything about it suggests uh, a dynamism which just is incredibly atypical for that period of time and they're investing all that time and energy 
in this song. And I don't like I don't mean that to be as quite as derogatory as it sounds, but it as we've discussed, it's a pretty slight number all round. And yet the time and the care and the effort that's being into presented uh, that is being put into presenting this song is just as much as it is, you know, noticeably superior <coughs> next episode. Um songs as well and that's also really it's just so pleasing to see that this isn't being treated as a throwaway and even although it's the George song it's not being tossed off there's real effort being put into the way that it can be presented the way it can be put across to an audience and most importantly of all it's just downright charming it's just lovely as all these sequences are going to be there's none of them are anything other than that but it is just it's so pleasing to see so much effort go in to supporting George's little moment in the spotlight as well as as well as John and Paul's. And it's just the end results are just they're just lovely. They're just so endlessly rewatchable. And and so again to call back, and, and maybe this this will be um, where we wrap up as well. You know, originally you asked if George was, you know, was George actually happy um to dance with you? Well he might not have sounded it on um on the record, but in the film. He sure does look happy. Yeah, he he's looks happy. thrilled. He's, he's having a whale of the time. Um, and that, folks, I think, is uh, is what we call quite a decent sort of um, wrapping up. We, we called back to earlier things, and we've, we've kind of finished where we started. Um, unless, of course, you've got more that you want to say. No, I really don't. No. <laughs> uh, this is it's the kind of professionalism that I think everybody has come to expect from this podcast. So uh, yeah. we can probably wrap things up there. Um, what score do you want to give this one then? Oh, it's it's a six out of ten. Six. It's it's a, it's a bog standard kind of. Um, it's bog standard Beatles. Um, so if I was doing halves, I would have given it five and a half. But I'm not doing halves. It's not a five. It's not a. Uh, it's you know. So it kind of fits a six, really. So um, once again, it just shows up the ridiculousness of um, of scoring songs like this. Uh, yeah, but I love a bit of ridiculousness, so I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> I mean, if it wasn't ridiculous, then it just wouldn't be fun. I'm going to give it a six as well. I don't have anything else to add other than what you've already said. So um, yeah, I think that's fair. It's 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 a workaday song. It, it's got its place in the album. It's a nice little sequence in the movie. That's fine. Good. That's it. Bad. Lovely. Good. Do your bit, JG. I will do my bit. What, what do we so this remember it's, the, remember it's the segment you can really get a hold of us. Yeah. Part two. You can really get a hold of us at. <laughs> We're not being paid for this nonsense, you know. This comes free. No. Uh, you can get a hold of us at Beatlestuffology at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology, and you can find more of my writing at www.jgmacquarie.scott. Uh, please also check out my other podcast, which is Talking Trek to You, where a noob and an expert go through the original Star Trek series episode by episode. Please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcatcher you are using so that more people can find the show. Next week, we will be moving forward with And I Love Her. But until then, keep listening. <laughs>